If you would like a video copy of this conversation with me, Brian Zahn, and John Mark McMillan, go to our Instagram account at PWNAPod, and we will make sure you get hooked up with that. Also want to thank Davis Johnson for joining the patronage of PWNA Podcast. Thank you so much, Davis. So much appreciated, and welcome to our little community. In episode 223 of Pastor With No Answers, I interviewed Anthony Woodle, a young man, 29 years old. Our paths crossed a long time ago because of my friendship with his dad. I got to know him a little bit more over the past year or so. I talked to him because at 29 years old, he knew that his time was running out. He had been diagnosed with cancer, and the reports were not good. He had been given a year or so to live. And I want to offer my condolences to his family and tribute to Anthony Whittle as he passed away in September of 2020. Many friends and family miss him very dearly. It was very obvious by his graveside. I want to play a clip from that episode, which is basically Anthony reading a Facebook post that he had publicized Uh, I'd say four or five months before he passed away, just communicating his innermost thoughts. I also wanted to make mention that this episode of 223 with Anthony Woodle entailed a conversation that he actually didn't have with his own parents. And I say that because after talking to his parents, they were very much so touched by that podcast because it was their way of actually hearing how Anthony was processing. Anthony was a unique guy and he loved his parents very much, didn't want to see him hurt. And I'd say that was part motivation of not wanting to express all of his thoughts to him. And, you know, he just didn't like to communicate as much outwardly. So this podcast episode ended up being a gift to his parents so they could hear what was really going on in his mind. And I'm happy to be a part of that, part of that, to be honest. But our love to the Woodall family. And here's a clip of Anthony Woodall. Rest in peace, buddy. Joey has asked me to talk about my current circumstances on his podcast. And I agreed to do so, although I'm way more comfortable expressing myself in written word. So I wanted to take a moment to read this Facebook post that I feel expresses best where I'm at with all this. I know that I'm going to die. I don't know when. Could be a few months or a few years. There's really no way to know for sure. I know that I'm beyond the point of being cured, and it's more about delaying the inevitable for as long as possible. I know that I won't be able to live as long of a life as all of my family and friends. I'm slowly making peace with that. Still, it is a strange feeling knowing how I'll die. But at the same time, there is a positive aspect to it. You know, they always say to live every day like it's your last. Well, knowing that my last may be sooner rather than later has really allowed me to take a step back and look at my life from a different perspective. I'm happy with the life that I've lived. 
In the 29 years that I've been around, I've been a musician, I achieved my dream of producing a feature film, and I even had it shown in a movie theater. Uh, I helped the hungry through a haunted house every Halloween. I've been fortunate enough to have a family that loves and supports everything I've ever done, friends who care about me, and I've spent the last seven years with the love of my life, who I soon will get to marry. Of course, there's still plenty that I would want to do, but I am satisfied with what I've already done. To clarify, this post isn't meant to signify giving up. My will to live is stronger than it's ever been. I don't know how much time I have left, but however long it ends up being, I intend to truly live each day to its fullest. But whatever ends up happening, I want everyone to know that regardless if we're close or we haven't spoken in years, I'm happy to know I'm happy to have known all of you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Brian Zahn and John Mark McMillan join me for a conversation about a lot of stuff. I want to say that I have actually a lot of ignorance about politics that really comes out on this episode because of our culture and all of the canceling it does based on one soundbite, one tweet. I actually get legit nervous by the things that I say here, things I don't say, and things I didn't know. I don't really like that about myself. I'm getting better at not caring, but I'm being honest with you. I didn't edit anything from this episode. So maybe I should be more informed. Maybe I should be more militant against bad things. Or maybe, based on the magnitude of our country's crazy situation currently, I have an apathy problem because it's just easier for Joey Simpson to live that way, which maybe signifies a lazy problem. Maybe I'm just scared. But here's what I'll say emphatically. I'll say this emphatically is that my posture could be flat out wrong. It could be immoral. It could completely be unchristlike. I don't know, but I do know that it could be. But you know what else I'll say emphatically? It's where I'm at. I can't talk about things from any other angle than from where I'm at. And it's through talking things out like I did here that my ideas and notions can be pushed back on. Because of this sort of public pondering, I get to receive more information and guidance. All of this to say is I am trying. I think that most of us are. We're all working with what we have. And those who have been listening to this podcast for a long time, you know this. You know this, that I'm trying. And, and I, for one, am legit thankful to my listenership for contributing to what we have here. You are a huge ingredient as to why we have raw, honest oftentimes misguided conversations because you support this sort of dialogue. You see the value in this, and I'm very thankful for you. So this episode actually does something to my heart because I had scheduled an interview with Brian Zahn with Bad Christian, and the day that we were supposed to do this interview, I was actually in a very bad situation with my depression, 
I insisted that I still be a part of that recording and my wife insisted, justifiably so, that I was not going to do that. Actually went to a doctor that day, missed out on everything, and then obviously from there things between me and Bad Christian Podcast just kind of crumbled over the next few months. And so doing this interview with Brian Zahn is kind of coming full circle and being very thankful as to where God has me with health, especially mentally, and just how things are in my life right now, and just basically being able to talk to someone that I wanted to talk to a daggum year ago. I also want to say that I was so focused on getting this live feed out on Facebook, I (laughs) forgot to hit the record button 30 to 45 seconds into this thing. You would think that after all these years of podcasting, I'd be a little better at this sort of thing. So I want to let you know that we drop right into the conversation after I ask Brian Zahn if he would accept an invitation from Trump and Trump's team to be a financial advisor. I think you meant spiritual advisor, dumbass. To the commander in chief. Here you go. Right. They're never not without political assumptions being made. Right. Uh, you are not, I mean, I may sound cynical here, I, and I'm not a cynic, but you are not selected for spiritual advice. You are selected for bolstering up a voting block. Yeah. Plain and simple. Yeah. Um, I, I'll tell you a story. 16 years ago, you know, America, America descends into a quadrennial madness every four years. Now, actually, it seems like it just is all the time. But, but every four years, you know, September, October, we're heading toward elections and it gets crazy. 16 years ago, was in another lifetime, one of toil and blood. I mean, it was just that was that was on the precipice of of a new. That's on the precipice of me being born again again. Yeah. Okay. And so I was coming to the end. I didn't know it. I was coming to the end of kind of a whole stage of life. And this born was, again again. Can we just camp out on that for three hours? All right, yeah. go ahead. Never mind. So, <laughs> Yeah, this was this was the uh, let's get it right. This is the Bush. This was the second term election for Bush George W. Bush. I guess he was running against John Kerry. John Kerry. Yep. And there was a presidential rally here in St. Joseph. I'm 50 miles north of Kansas City, town of 100,000, and Dick Cheney was was here. And they had asked me to offer the invocation. And I did not immediately say yes. I didn't immediately say yes. I I pondered, I thought about it, and I eventually said, okay, I'll do it. So I show up, you go, you know, you go, you meet the, the Secret Service, you go backstage, you meet the vice president who has no interest in meeting you. And, Wait, and then, then they, like then they trot me out on stage and, and there's, you know, kind of the music playing. I look out, you know, half the crowd's my church then. <laughs> and uh, um, there's this moment. Okay, so, so the, there was a couple other preliminaries, but then I was to pray. And I'd had a prayer prepared 
And I got up there and I stood behind the microphone and I just stood there for a moment. And I, I know people are thinking, come on, Zon, you know, we yeah. got to keep this thing rolling. This is not your moment, you know, in the light. Let's go. And, but I was having this crisis. I thought, what am I doing here? I'm being used. And I knew it. And so I, comp- I, I silently repented, vowed to never do it again. But I wasn't going to just walk off. So I, I cobbled together as innocuous a prayer as I could compose in the moment and sort of stumbled through it. And then literally walked off the stage. I was supposed to stay up there. And I just, I walked off the stage, walked out of the building, got in my car and drove away and, and really drove away. Right. And I am passionately nonpartisan. I'm not apolitical. I'm not apolitical. You can't be, what is, you know, politics is just the attempt at achieving the common will through democratic legislation, if it's a democratic political process. And if we're talking about the common good, Christ speaks to that constantly. So I'm not apolitical, but I am nonpartisan. And I can, I, I can just quip and say, but I mean it, I'm, I, I don't follow a donkey. I don't follow an elephant. I follow the lamb. And so, you know, I constantly get invitations. You know, That's like, a tweet like, right there. Go ahead. Like, like the, uh, the national prayer breakfast. And I just say, no, no, no. In fact, what you're describing in a little different version about a year ago, yeah. I got that invitation with it was they didn't just, it, it was with the administration it was more with mike pence and it involved you know some travel and and overseas and a, a thing in turkey and and i just said no i'm just not going to be a part of that i i think it almost always if not always takes away your prophetic edge so because because so because that's that's a heady world that's you know you're talking about the the corridor of power in the world in that sense the power of the sword the power of caesar and i don't know if you can walk into that and not be intoxicated by it so i think what you have to do is just say nope i'm not gonna play golf with caesar i'm just not going to i'm just not going to and it doesn't matter whether it's an elephant caesar or a donkey caesar right (laughs) okay a trump caesar or a or a or a biden caesar i'm just i'm staying away from it. I'm staying and yeah. keeping my distance. I'll speak to it, but I'm not going to participate in it. And that's a, that's a, maybe a fairly radical stance. I don't accept, ex- expect everyone to agree with me, by the way, you don't have to agree. <laughs> this is my own personal conviction. Right. So it's, so that's it's, a long it, answer. No. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, it's for you not to get in, intoxicated. Is that the, the primary or is it because you feel like you're being used? Cause my, my both, only pushback. Both. My, yeah. both. And, and first of all, I know I'm being used. And then secondly, I may, I may not trust myself, you right. know, that in that moment, would I really be able to maintain my courage or would it be so intoxicating, that proximity to power? So I think it's just best to to be Amos and stay in Tekoa, not run off to Jerusalem and right. <laughs> get all caught up in that. Yeah, yeah. I bet you John, Mark, and I, with with our our backgrounds, kind of a lot of Pentecostalism. At least my mind would be like, "Yeah, bro, but what if God wants to use you? <laughs> like, what? Like, what if? What if He wants you to change things? Or, I, I think or God can use me right where I'm at. Right. You know? I don't think I have to go to D.C. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I know some of the people on His spiritual. I mean, I like know them, know them. Like, I can text them right now. 
<laughs> yeah. And I'm kind of disappointed. Yeah. And they yeah. know, at least one of them knows I'm disappointed. Disappointed in them? Yeah. For being a part of that? Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm not for being a part necessarily, but for you haven't said anything yet. I mean, at what point? I mean, you know, what? when do you say something? Right. If you're going to give some advice, seems like, you know, there's been plenty of opportunities. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Like when you look at the so a little a little background i keep talking for john mark here so stop me john if sure. any of this is inaccurate but him and i i think both have somewhat of a, a a soft heart and and not not in a we're better than them way but just we we love our 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 family and friends that came from fundamentalism evangelical backgrounds do love them right yeah. and uh, a lot of them are still there. A lot of them are are not. But I think that, and I know it's so tricky. And I mean, I, it's it's crazy with cancel culture. I mean, I feel like I could say the wrong thing here and be done with. But I feel like there are there are a lot of evangelical Christians that they're just they're just being duped. They're turning a blind eye. There's hip, hypocrisy and everything. And then there's some that they really do believe this is the best thing for our country. Yeah. Like, I, I think that there's some very genuineness to it. And, and I'll be honest. I mean, so I do, I am so ignorant about politics. The, that, that, uh, the election that you're talking about, that's the last one that I really kept up and I almost feel lazy or, or ignorant, but I just feel like I, I just don't want to pay attention to, to any of it, but I just feel like, from a very shallow vantage point, if Trump carried himself like a gentleman with class, with love and dignity, I don't know if he would be as hated as as he is as far as like his policies go. But again, that's coming from someone who really doesn't keep up with stuff. I do. I heard from a person that heard so obviously don't take this to the bank and i don't want to say well actually i will say it's it's a pretty legit it's a pretty legit statement as far as the source is concerned but there is an african-american politician way 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 up there conservative and he said he doesn't believe trump is racist he believes that trump is very insensitive in how he says things that's just somebody else saying something so i don't know that the the, the I guess all of this to say, gosh, I just hate how polarized we are. I just hate it. Yeah. I, I hate it so much. And I hate well, it. If, and, I, and I, I've been saying this for a long time, so don't look for a hidden meaning in this statement. But until you see the kingdom of God, politics trumps everything. I, I know I just use the word trumps, but I've been saying that for 16 years. Once you unless you really see the kingdom of God, you think that the way to bring about righteousness, justice, the kingdom of God, the purposes of God, you have to have access to the levers of power that I just referred to as either Babylon or Caesar. And you're going to say, well, I'm going to use it for good. I think that's the third wilderness temptation, by the way. 
to to compromise and it's it's essentially a bowing down to the satan that you might obtain access and control of caesar's sword but it's lords of the lord of the rings stuff you say well i would use it i'm going to use it for good but the ring of power is is too much for us to bear and so we have to see that 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 jesus christ will not endorse anyone's politics because he has his own here's the problem with with the Christian right and the Christian left. Doesn't matter, either one. Christian right and Christian left. The big problem is that Christian then gets reduced to adjective duty. What's really important is right and left. And then Christian is trotted out, or I'd say it this way, Christ is trotted out as an endorser of a particular brand or or, or policy or approach to politics. Right, left, conservative, liberal. Karl Barth, having his own experience with this kind of catastrophe in the 1930s Germany, he said this. I'll say it, and then let me unpack it a moment. Yeah. He said, Christ, or he said, God God cannot rule. God cannot serve. God can only rule. I stumbled through that. Let me get it right. God cannot serve. God can only rule. Now, he doesn't mean that God in Christ can't take on the form of a certain servant, and clearly he does. What he means by that is that God will not and cannot serve some other agenda. God only has his own. And what happens is, is if we don't really believe that the church and the kingdom is viable and is not so much a means of changing the world, but is the world already changed by Christ? If we don't see that, if we don't perceive that, if we don't deeply believe that, then we say, well, I, we've, we've got to be, we've got to, we've got to control the house. We've got to get the house. And we, and we need to get the Senate too. And my God, we need the White House. And once you go down that road, then it's easy to incrementally make compromise after compromise after compromise after compromise all in pursuit of the ring of power or the sword of Caesar. And then you get it, but now you're ruined. <laughs> you're corrupted. Yeah. And how can you, you know, you know the saying, uh, the ends justify the means. And, and people know not to agree with that, but still that lurks deep within them. Right. That, no, 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 I, I, we've got to win this election. We, we've got to. I mean, this, how many times have you heard this? This is the most important election. Without Oops, this, it, it's <laughs> all going to collapse. It's gonna, mm-hmm. and, and as if, you know, Christ is about ready to fall right off the throne. You know, he's hanging on. Somebody, Oh, my Lord. No, the, the ends do not justify the means. Rather, the means are the ends in the process of becoming. So that if your means are ugly, vitrolic, dishonest, that's going to be the end. The end's going to be ugly and vitriol and compromised and deceitful. It, that's what is it. The, the, the way of Christ, or we can say it this way, there is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Or there is no way to righteousness. Righteousness is the way. I mean, you, you can't say, okay, because I have this noble end, I can employ this ignoble means. No, for those that take up their cross and follow Christ, none of that is permitted. 
but I see it happen all the time in the realm of politics, and I see it both on right and left, but we see a particular crisis where white evangelicalism, uh, so I have something more to say about that, is almost now completely captured as little more than the religious wing of the Republican Party, and the Republican Party hardly exists anymore. It's it's the party of Trump. I don't know who else is watching this. Are people getting mad at me? <laughs> it doesn't matter. I've been down this road before. <laughs> John, Mark, how like what 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 would you describe yourself as when it comes to mental involvement of of politics? Mm. Like just how much do you think about it? How much do you worry about it? Like how much are you thinking about this election? Like I hate, never mind. I, I was about to get myself canceled. Go ahead, John Mark. <laughs> uh, I kind of hate politics. Yeah. Like, I mean, just not, I mean, I, I could have some reasons to hate politics, but I'm not drawn towards politics. Yeah. Honestly, I, I uh, probably 15 years ago, I sort of detached really before a lot of my friends and people around me went through what they call a deconstruction. I detached from church over politics. You know, it got to where the messages on Sunday were all about, you know, um, who was president and what was happening with policy. I mean, that was the Sunday morning messages. And I'm like, I got, you know, I've been married for a few years. I got like a young kid, a couple more young children on the way. And I'm like, I don't know how to love my wife very well. I don't know how to love my kids very well. I don't even know who my neighbors are. It's like, that's the kind of stuff I want to hear about on Sunday. You know, I get to vote once every four years, at least for the president. Right. You, like, you have but, an advantage, John Mark, because you're an artist. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not trying to flatter you. I'm just, I'm, I want to make a point here that artists, um, whether it's, you know, music or poetry or novelists, um, they operate from the realm of imagination. Their imagination is robust. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, most people, you can't say, write a song. I can't write a song. Uh, artists, though, have this gifted imagination, which means that other alternatives are more easily accessed as a possibility. Mm. Uh, and that's why artists are usually the least enamored by politics, because uh, the rhetoric of empire is this is the way it has to be. This is the way the world is. It has to be this way. And the artist says, I can think of like a hundred other ways. It could be. <laughs> this, is, this is why Richard Nixon was so obsessed with John Lennon. And John Lennon is living in New York City. He's a British citizen, but he's living in New York. And, and Nixon was you know, the most powerful man in the world, but he's obsessed with this guy that can write songs like Imagine. Yeah. And he wants to get him deported just because he's intimidated. This is why, this is why when things go real dark with totalitarianism, that the poets are among the first to end up in the gulags mm. because they have the imagination to conceive alternatives that the powers that be want to say those aren't valid alternatives. Hmm. Yeah. So, so I'm for you wow. know let's let's put the musicians in office. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what's strange too is I I've got even an an album of kind of protest songs, and I I haven't released the songs not because I'm afraid, but I don't like the songs very much. They're too specific. And wow, and I don't and specificity. How do you say that? Yeah, yeah. You know, is good for some things but I think can be really bad 
when it comes well, to music they, and they, art. That's, they can protest songs if they're too intentional to turn into propaganda, and exactly. propaganda is not art. It's not interesting, and, right. and it's not art, yeah, because it's coercive. A, a, a good protest song, like like I think of Ohio, you know, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. It's in response, you know, to what happened at Kent State in 19, was it 70, I think, a long time ago. But that song still, you can hear it today and you can somehow find some way that it might speak to you today. Even though it's specific, it's, it wasn't so specific that it died out 10 minutes after the event. And, uh, and yeah, I know what you're saying there. Yeah, well, I, I think art should speak to ideas. I mean, art can do whatever art wants to, I guess. But in my mind, art should speak to ideas. And you can be specific in art as long as those specific things also speak to greater ideas. And so I get really bored with super specific on the nose type stuff. Right. Like that's right. good for like educational songs. It's good for propaganda. It's good for commercials. Well, and, and those good. real on the nose protest kind of things don't change minds. They reinforce a base. Yeah. They, they, they collect they high actually, fives. They're, they're not actually an agent of change in any way. Yeah. Mm. Brian, let me ask you this. And I am quite certain that a, a, a huge sect on both sides would think this is pretty pathetic. But I'm curious because, gosh, I love I, I love the stuff that you put. I, I, I just love your work. And it's so refreshing. Is it wrong of me to to literally take the standpoint of I'm going to relish being by faith? I'm going to relish being in God's kingdom, this thing that Jesus introduced us to and i just i don't know if things are going to get way worse i don't know if things are going to get way better i just i i just don't care and you've got some people that will respond and say well that's easy for you to say you're a white male and i get right. that i totally totally get that i just I, I i feel like what can i what can i do i mean i even think i'm in south carolina you know who South Carolina is going to vote for? I, it's, 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 it's no question. Trump will be, he, he'll win South Carolina. So yeah. I just, I don't know. Is that, that's probably lazy, right? What, what I would resist is the idea that responsible political engagement is a binary option. Sure. That it's the mm -hmm. dualism of Republican Democrat. Um, I think we can be ambivalent about, uh, you know, a two-party system of politics the way it plays out in America and still be responsible, still be engaged. Uh, you know, I, here I'm going to say something terribly controversial. I believe in the church. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why I've been the pastor of one church for 39 years. It's not, and it's not because I couldn't do something else. It's because I believe in the church. And I believe that, uh, and I touched on this a moment ago, the task of the church is not so much to change the world, because once we go down that road, oh, we've got to change the world. We've got to change the world. Then we get so seduced to the most direct means of changing the world, which is coercion, which is politics, which is the sword and all of that. Now, our task is to be the world as already transformed by Christ. And so if we are in, if we are participating in some way in actually creating and maintaining healthy churches, and yes, such things exist, if, if we can be involved in creating this space where 
the Sermon on the Mount is actually lived, not just debated, but lived to some, you know, we're never perfect, but right. where, where it's being lived, um, at least that tried is to. responsible politics. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I tell people, look, as a Christian, you can really participate in American political process at about any level. You, certainly you can, you can vote. And you could uh, be involved in a party. You can even run for office and hold office, provided you can still maintain the two commandments that we're called to in the process and in, you know, in the midst of that. And that is to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. Once you begin to see the others, the other side, the opposition whether it's you know liberal or conservative or Democrat or Republican, once you begin to see them as the enemy, and then you have this deep animosity, uh, then then you you know you've crossed the line, and you have to you have to pull back. Um, I come from a political family. Uh, my brother's the prosecutor in Kansas City. That's you know an elected position. My father was a judge, uh, and at times was was the state. Uh, whatever he was, he was the he was in charge of the Missouri Republicans back when he was alive. So I come from that kind of background. Um, so I, I understand that, and I'm, you know, I, I can feel the pull of that now and then. I, I, I would say I pay attention to it. Although I, I just made a decision on what is today? Today's third. I made a decision on Tuesday. I just said, well. You know, I mean, frequently the last few years, at this time, my wife and I have been walking the Camino de Santiago in, in, uh, in uh, Spain, partly at least four years ago to, just to get away from this. So I've decided that I, I'm just, I'm not going to consume any political news, analysis, or opinion between now until after the election. I don't see that as irresponsible. First of all, what more do I need to know? Secondly, if some, you know, huge thing that actually deserves my attention, you know, I got my little push notifications on my phone. I'll see that and I'll call pay attention. But as far as like just, you know, going to news sources and intentionally consuming that, I'm just, I'm taking a sabbatical. Uh, and, and I feel like I need to because it, all of it seems to be toxic at this point. And, you know, a little sip now and then, okay, but man, if you spend... And I'm, you know, we're talking about people that spend hours a day consuming a intensely toxic political position and can be on both sides. I don't think there's any way that that doesn't do damage to your soul. And by that, I mean, it reduces your capacity both to love God and to love neighbor. Mm -hmm. And that's when you just say, okay, I, I've got to pull aside. Uh, that's not to say that I won't do what I've been doing. I mean, I'm constantly involved in offering some sort of critique of the idolatry of American religious nationalism. I'll probably still do that, but I don't need to read the news to do that. Right. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, I do understand the tensions. I'll, I'll comment a little bit more. I, um, you still haven't told me if I'm lazy, ignorant, and irresponsible. Neither, I don't think you're in that. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, um, uh, for years, I declined to cast a traditional ballot for the presidency, mainly because I didn't want to. I didn't want it to be viewed as I was authorizing someone to wage war on my behalf. So I would, 
I would always go to the polls and I would vote local. And then I would write in something for the president. And that was always like a fun thing for me. One year it was Bob Dylan. One year it was Wendell Berry. One year it was uh, Treebeard. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but then I thought, you know, well, maybe, maybe that is a bit of a privileged position. Coming up on this, the 2016 election, I thought, you know, that could go sideways, but guy like me probably be okay. So what I did was I found an undocumented uh, immigrant in our church who I know quite well, have tried to help them, have spent personal money hiring immigration attorneys, trying, I mean, they came legally and then things got screwed up and now they can't, you know, they just can't get legal, even though their lives are here and they've had children born here, but they're in, they're in constant danger of deportation. I think it's mm. a travesty. So I went to him and I said, uh, we have this election coming up. You can't vote. You've got more at stake than I do. So I'm going to give you my vote. Here's what we're going to do. You can read about it, think about it, pray about it, do whatever you want. And you just tell me who you want to vote for. And on election day, I'm nothing more than your errand boy. I'll go. And, and I, I was public. I, I told people I was doing this. I told my church I was doing this. Made some people mad. They said, uh, you can't do that. That's illegal. One. No, it's not. <laughs> and two, you let Fox News tell you to vote for, so I'm letting these people tell me who to vote for. So that's all right. So that was me. In one sense, I was keeping my distance. On the other hand, I thought, well, uh, there's people that do have something at stake. So that's how, that's how I dealt with it last time around. Yeah. Yeah. And Oh, yes. And if you ask me, well, who did they vote for? I said, I can't tell you. It's a secret. Right. All I right. promised I wouldn't tell. Yep. Yeah, and and for for people listening now, people that will listen later, I I do feel like I I want to say that I I do not think Trump is a good guy. I don't want to judge him, but I I don't think he's good for our country. I just I'm looking at this next election day, and that I guess I guess where my question came from as far as being lazy and irresponsible and all that stuff is, I just feel like. I need to just rest in the fact that the kingdom I'm a part of is eternal. It, it trumps, like you said, any other kingdom because otherwise it's just overwhelming. Like it, it really and truly is. Well, overwhelming. okay. So, so again, I don't really know what the demographics of people that are seeing this are. So I don't know if people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or what? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but like, I'm a bad person to most uh, I'm probably losing listeners by not saying that you are not a Christian if you vote for Trump. And I'm sorry. I just well, well, I know too many people that are Christians and you can say they're confused. You can say they're ignorant. You can just say that they think the Republican Party is the only party that's anti-abortion. Like whatever it is, you just can't. You can't say statements like that. I mean, right. well, I'm, look, I pastor. I, I, the church I pastor is no monolith. I mean, people can probably like, guess at my, you know, political leanings or thoughts, at least in the present moment. But don't think that's indicative of the church I pastor necessarily. I'd say our church is probably fifty-fifty. I wow. think our church is like a, like a, like a, what do they call them? A uh, a battleground state. <laughs> Except at Word Alive, we're pretty committed to not being battling. Right. That we want to be a culture of kindness. You can vote right, you can vote left, R, D, whatever, but you just can't be ugly about it. Uh, if you want to know what I think. Well, that speaks volumes about you, by the way. Yeah, it, it's tricky. I'll tell you that. But, but I think it's also real, and it keeps me honest. 
because it's too easy just to play to a base. So, you know, I've got uh, every Sunday, I've got both. And I mean, I mean, really both. I mean, like we got, you know, people are still mad that Bernie didn't get the nomination, you know, <laughs> in our church. Right. And we got Trumpers in our church and they're right. in the pews together. Um, if you want to know what I think about Trump, I, here's how you can find out. If you go, if, my name is unusual. So that's a great filter. Just Google Zond Trumped. And what you'll find, and I stand by it. And I, I, think mo- I think if you'll read it, I think most people go, yeah, that's fair. I think it, it, what it is, it's the entire chapter of postcards from Babylon, the church in American exile. I just put the entire chapter out there for free. I mean, it's just, you go read it for, it's not real long. Maybe it's like 6,000 words. I don't know, something like that. And I, and in fact, I encourage people to do that. It, it, it tells a little bit of my story with involvement with politics and family and all of that. And and what I think about Trump and what, and I have, I have sermon notes from the 1990s where I referenced Donald Trump as an example of someone that a Christian businessman could not emulate. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah. I was critical of him long before. I mean, I, I tell a story in that chapter of a young man that had led to Jesus in our church and he was walking around. Can I just read it? Yeah. Let me just, let me. Just give me a second. Let me give me a second here. Yes, he's looking for that. I mean, John, Mark, what what I can't get out of my head is once you start making statements like that, like you can't be a Christian if you don't vote for Trump. You can't be a Christian if you do mm-hmm. vote for Trump. You've you've changed how salvation works. Uh, so fr- from that point on, no one's allowed to be confused. No one's allowed to be misled. No one's allowed to be arrogant and and still be a Christian. I mean, it's just like, it turns everything around. All of a sudden we're in a workspace. You got to have your beliefs, right? You got to, you got to be correct in who you vote for. I mean, it's just, it changes everything and it's anti-Jesus. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, let me, this is one little part here. It's, we're just jumping right in the middle of it. So you don't have all the context, but that's when I saw a young man I had led to Jesus reading Donald Trump's Think Big. Now, you have to understand, this is like early 2000s. Right. This is before Trump. None of us in our wildest imagination right. even dreamed right. of 2016. Right. <laughs> that's, when, that's why when I saw a young man I had led to Jesus reading Donald Trump's Think Big, I took him aside and urged him to find some better role models for his business aspirations. Why would I do that? Because I take seriously my pastoral calling. In Think Big, Donald Trump, right? Donald Trump's win at all cost tough guy persona is on full display as he writes, quote, the only way to get rich is to be realistic and brutally honest. It's tough and people get hurt. So you have to be as tough as nail and willing to kick ass if you want to win. My motto is always get even. When somebody screws you, screw them back in spades. Nice motto. Mm. Kicking ass and getting even are acceptable if you're an apprentice of Gordon Gecko, but not if you're an apprentice of, Don, of Jesus Christ. So you can understand why I had a pastoral conversation with my young disciple regarding his reading material. Donald Trump's screw them back motto and Jesus Christ's golden rule are mutually exclusive. So anyway. I like it. I like it. <laughs> and, well, go ahead. No, no. So I have, I've, I've had this thought recently beyond sort of left and right, um, you know, because we're talking about right. modern day America, <clears throat> but this sort of idea of moving from one type of power to another type of power is actually, wouldn't you say it's one of, number one, it's one of the oldest problems 
you know, we've had as humanity. And number two, would you say that maybe it's also sort of the journey we travel as a believer? You know, you think about James and John, you know, the Thunder Brothers. And this is, you know, people who walked with Jesus and camp fired with Jesus and, you know, ate with Jesus and they want to, you know, drop bombs on yeah. people. And Jesus is like, you don't know what you're saying. And then their mother, wasn't it James and John's mother came and said, hey, yeah. can when you're in your throne, can one of my sons sit on your left, another on your right? And Jesus is like, do you have any idea what you're saying? But it's sort of like, I just wonder, we think of this as like, it's a new problem. But really this, would you say this is maybe the oldest problem? Yeah, I would. Uh, I would. I, I think the Bible is a violent book because violence is the problem it's addressing. Mm. And when James and John request to be at the right and left of Jesus in his glory, they imagine themselves asking, hey, can we be Secretary of State and Secretary of Defense in your cabinet? Mm. Yeah. But what they're actually asking is to be crucified with him. Mm. Because who is at Jesus' right and left in his glory? Mm-hmm. It's those that are crucified. That's why Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink this cup? You have no idea what you're asking for. And so I was doing some writing just right up until the moment that we came and did this. And I was work, I'm working on an Advent devotion. So I was in Isaiah 9, Prince of Peace and all. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And we like to imagine, oh, that just means, you know, Messiah will have all authority. Well, what is the government of God? How does God rule? That's actually a reference to the cross. Mm. The, the, the government of God is the cross. Christ never rules apart from the cross. He rules from the cross. And so uh, the problem is when we become infatuated with power politics is we end up laying down the cross. And mm. we just say, okay, what we, really, what we really need is we just need a really good, righteous Pharaoh. We need a good, righteous Caesar. We need, we need a, you know, if Nebuchadnezzar would just hold some, you know, Christian prayer breakfast. No, <laughs> there's a completely different kingdom. It's the pot But it's always cruciform. <laughs> it's always laying down our life. It's always considering the other. It's, it's where martyrdom is always on the table. I'm just shocked at how the idea that martyrdom is not an option has taken hold in certain swaths of American Christianity. I mean, our whole faith has this rich tradition of martyrs. But the idea, no, we have, to, we have to have a military and we have to have a president and we have to have all of this to defend our faith. Christianity is never defended by killing. It's defended by, we're told in Revelation, they, they overcame, this, these are martyrs, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their witness, their testimony, and they loved not their lives even to death. Wow. That's what prevails over the Satan. Mm. Not no, if, you know, we've got to have, we've got to have a Caesar on our side to deliver us from the bad guys. Mm. Now, what you said though, is that kind of from an angle of assuming, and I know you don't believe this, but saying something along the lines of we, we need powerful military and defend our country. That's supposing that we are a Christian nation. That's, that's something I get mixed up on sometime is I don't need my nation to be Christian. Like I just... Honestly, I feel very lucky and blessed to live somewhere that we are kind of powerful. Like, I hate saying that, but it's just like um, we can't have just people marching on in here, take, taking over. Now, <clears throat> I know the black community feels very differently 
uh, as far as that. So I know some of that is definitely coming from some privilege, but I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't need our Look, country to be a Christian I, nation. I, love I don't America think it is in that it is my home. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's my home. It's my family. Right. Right. That's um, what I love. But I, but people. I've been fortunate, you know, I've traveled the world quite widely for a long time. And I'll tell you my favorite places. My favorite places are former empires that have long lost their imperial aspirations. Wow, that's intriguing. When, when, when you're saying, we're number one, we're number one, there's a lot of pressure there to yeah. stay number one. And, and it, it's like when I'm in Portugal, what do they say? We're number, what are we? We're like number 48 <laughs> or something. I don't know. But I mean, they don't have any pretense of they're going to be great and rule the world and be number one, but they have a nice life <laughs> right. Right. and, and the food's great and they like football and soccer, you know, and, <laughs> and, uh, so places like that, where, where that, that whole narcotic of wanting to rule the world has kind of finally drained out of their system and they've gone through their cold Turkey and, and now they're off that drug. They can kind of just get back on with the business of living life, you know, and, and uh, so I, I push back on the idea that America is the only place where people are free, that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I mean, yes, I, do, I don't want to live in North Korea. Right. I'll grant you that. I do not want to live in North Korea. And I can name other places I don't want to live. But I also have a list of 20 places that, you know, provided I could actually speak the language, that's always a little bit of a barrier. And you make it, you know, financially, I could think of a lot of places I'd like to live. Yeah. And, yeah. But, but here's the thing. For a, here's the main thing. For a Christian, a citizenship or national identity is what we call a philosophical accidental. It's not pertinent to our ontological being. Our true citizenship is of the heavens. It's of the kingdom of Christ. Hmm. So, you know, uh, you know, I, I mean, yes, I, I have that blue passport that says United States of America. I have to have that to, you know, to get around, to travel back when we used to travel. Hopefully that comes back again soon. Um, and, and I love America in the sense that, well, let's say it this way. America's four things. America's first is a, is a behemoth. It's huge in every way. And it's so big that it's not one thing. It's four things. It's a nation, a culture, an empire, a religion. As Ugh, I hate a that nation, clearly it's a nation, right? You know, with its 50 states and its borders and all of that. It's a nation. It's a culture. You know, John Mark, you know this. I mean, you, you, you know, the U2 song. Outside is America. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, I leave America, but I never Joshua leave Tree, baby, yeah. that's old school. You know, it's, it's, it's out there everywhere, all right? So I can find America everywhere I go. Hey, yeah. I like you two, too, just because I'm not an artist. Can I like you two? <laughs> yes. So, so it's, a, it's a culture. It's an empire. I'll get to that. And it's a religion. As a nation and a culture, America is a mixed bag, but there is much that is admirable. There's much to celebrate. There's much to be proud of. I mean, we're the land of Bob Dylan and Johnny Cash. I mean, right there. <laughs> we invented the blues, jazz, rock and roll. I mean, come on. And there's much to celebrate as a nation and a culture. It's a mixed bag, though. As an empire, what, what do I mean by empire? Empires are rich, powerful nations who believe they have a divine right to rule other nations and a manifest destiny to shape history according to their agenda. As an empire, 
we are a challenge or we're pretending anyway to be a, a rival to the sovereignty of God. And that's why the Bible sustains a critique of empire, literally from Genesis to Revelation. Because what empires claim for themselves are the very things that God has promised to his son, Jesus Christ. So God loves nations. God loves nations with their ethnicity, their language, their diversity, their cultures. But God is opposed to empires, to Babylons and Romes and beasts and all of that that, that get too big and want to rule the world. Uh, they, they get crosswise with the purposes of God. And then finally, America is a religion. I know I, I say that just very dispassionately. Uh, I just say that objectively. I know that may sound highly provocative, but I mean, is it in question? I mean, it actually is a religion, complete with holy days and sacred sites and liturgical gestures and sacred texts and founding fathers or is that unique to America? Creeds and all of that. And and I think that what's the name of this podcast? Pastors with no answers. Pastors with no answers. The greatest challenge facing the American pastor is this. We are tasked with making disciples out of people who have already been thoroughly discipled into a rival religion. Mm-hmm. And most all of our people in our churches think, assume, that there is a nice, easy conflation with the kingdom of Christ and the United States of America, that they sort of just fit nicely together. <laughs> and, and just quite simply, that's just not true. <laughs> it's just, and it, that's, that's not particularly aimed at uh, Republicans or, or right. Democrats. That's just the whole, the whole of it. It is and, surprising that people are so quick to see that. Right. And, and so, so, well, think about this phenomenon. I know you see this in Charleston. You've got to. I mean, I see it here. I see it everywhere I go, really. You'll have churches that like flags. I'm a little suspicious of flags um, to begin with, but but they like they like flags and they want to have some flags out on the church lawn. But you know, times are tough and money's tight, and they only got one flag pole, and so they want to have a United States flag for some reason, and they want to have that Christian flag. Which okay. The Christian flag actually is not historic Christian iconography. It's actually already a conflation of the of American iconography and Christian iconography. But let's just take it at face value. You know, yeah. the, the Christian flag representing the kingdom of Christ. But they only got one flagpole. How do they fly them? <laughs> it's always American flag on top, and then penultimate subordinate to America is the Christian flag. Now, flags That's serve so no. True. I never thought of that. Flags I'm so serve no. The South. <laughs> flags serve no utilitarian person. They are pure symbol, but powerful symbol. You know that's why flag burning just woo. And so they're powerful symbols. So what when you see that, and and now you will never be able to unsee it. Right. <laughs> what is it? That is a moment of unintended truth telling. They're saying, we believe in Jesus. We love Jesus. We like Jesus. We're Jesus-y people. Jesus, in fact, is so great that he comes in number two. Number two in our all-time pantheon, right there below America. <laughs> and, if you, and if you say, well, that's not what that means. I says, all right, then switch him and see what happens. And then people will say, oh, that's illegal. I'd say two things. One, it's not. Two, so what if it was? So what if it was? You know, uh, I mean, if it doesn't, if it doesn't mean America's number one and our Christian faith is just right below that, then what does it mean? Yeah. 
Yeah. I'll but tell that, you all. That's, that's the reality. So I'm not saying that, it, that every pastor should now just climb up in their pulpit and preach it like that. You right. got to be smarter than that. That won't work. You have to be deft and you have to let people connect the dots and you have to let Jesus do the heavy lifting. And you tell stories that are set in either, you know, Daniel's Babylon or, or Paul's Roman Empire and then let people make the connections. But that's what we have to do. And it's a, it's a, it's a difficult task. Yeah. Y'all, I was showing my wife some pictures of, and I, I had told her this before and I don't think it registered. And then I actually showed her a picture. This is, I mean, listen, this is in the South. This is probably 1986. I was in public schools, rub shoulders with black guys, white guys, black girls, white girls. We were all friends. Like obviously racism was a thing, but as kids, we were just like, whatever. I would wear a shirt to school. It had a Confederate flag and it had a Civil War Southern soldier with his arms folded. And on the top, it says Lee surrendered, but I didn't. And I just and everybody thought it was funny. Nobody was mad. I mean, it's, it's just crazy just how times have changed for the better. But could you imagine that shirt? Now? Oh my gosh. Brian, do you get frustrated like with with your posture that i that i just feel is is so healthy and so good for people to hear is it frustrating to see the the zeal that turns almost it i'll put it this way the the liberal progressive zeal with great intentions that comes out hateful like oh, christians yeah that are, are on, on, you know, I'm, I'm an older guy, so I'm not doing TikTok. I'm on Twitter and just seeing, it just feels like hatred. And I'm like, I, I where did love your enemies go? Where did it go? Let me say this. Uh, I take positions that from time to time in such a way, I think I'm, I mean, I'm hard to pin down. I, I, I sincerely, sincerely reject the progressive Christian label. Some people want to, Brian's one of those progressive Christians. I, I, I don't think so. I think I'm actually deeply conservative, truly conservative, like patristic and that sort of stuff. But um, so, so I have had moments of pretty fierce attack on Twitter where, where it turns into a mob, you know, and that sort of thing. <laughs> I mean, it's only, it's only social media, so, you know, don't shed any tears for me, but... But, you know, it can be ugly. I've had moments on Twitter where I've been attacked several times from both right and left. And just my, this is anecdotal. I can't prove it. I can just tell you my experience. My experience is that ultimately the, the left is a little meaner. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it isn't. So, so, so if I, again, I have no idea who's seeing this. <laughs> But if, if you're going through, you know, something like a deconstruction or you're pulling away from fundamentalism or all that, just don't go into a, a progressive fundamentalism. Don't go from one fundamentalism to the other. Try to find the Jesus way. Mm. Don't just, you know, go from one to the other. And, and uh, out, of, out of your frustration and anger, say, okay, I'm going to be this mean, critical, empty the pews, burn it all down. Every Christian's a hypocrite. Don't go there. Yeah. In fact, I, I've just finished writing a book. What can we do when everything's on fire? And I, I mean, I started the book a year ago and then everything was on fire. On fire. Um, 
where where I really am kind of trying to help people that are that are maybe beginning what could be called deconstruction, or at least they rethinking of some of their assumptions that they have inherited in the Christian faith. And I want to help bring them through that without losing their faith altogether or becoming simply reactive and mean and ugly over on the other side. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, we're gonna shift to some theology and just oh, I to, like theology just to <laughs> kind of uh, yeah like like none of that what we've talked about touches into theology well this is political but, theology right. which as far as I'm concerned is the most tricky it's yeah. very difficult yeah. yeah so some super deep stuff but I, I want to challenge you to to give us because I want to not only honor your time but uh, you know keep keep the show at a at a a, a a decent length here, but I'm just, oh, I've got to ask these questions because these are the okay. burning questions that I have. So I'll read a tweet that you put out. I don't, I don't have the date. Oh or no. Anything. I do have to answer for my own tweets. My goodness. <laughs> so you <laughs> said, day. you said, um, basically an atheist says you believe in a God who damns billions to eternal torture. And Brian Zahn says, I don't believe that atheist says it's what the Bible says. Brian Zahn <laughs> says, that's not how I interpret it. Are you in the universalism camp? Because I, I, I feel that I'm. If I had to put my money somewhere, and it's not just like I, I really have studied the Bible ever since I, my mom made me study it in elementary school. I've been reading, so it's not just something that I hope for. It's really something that I think it's the best guess, honestly. But I'm curious what you think. Did Jesus win it all, man? Um. Wow. I have so much. I'm going to try to be. Just Brief. 30 seconds, please. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I'm trying to think where to start, where to start, where to start. Okay, first of all, uh, I do not claim to be a universalist. I don't like labels because labels are too tidy. Kierkegaard said, when you label me, you negate me. Oh, he's one of those. It's like I don't call myself a pacifist. Pacifism is an ethical position regarding violence that one can adopt independent of Christ. That's not me. I'm a Christian, and we can have the discussion on how Christ informs us about violence. Yeah, I'm not a universalist in that because words have meaning, and they carry assumptions. And so the universal, if you, once you, uh, for most people, if you if you if you claim a universalist label, here's what they think. Okay, so Hitler's in his bunker, and he pulls his trigger, and bang. He's in his luxury five-star, you know, mansion, baby, mansion in glory. Yeah. No accountability. No, no coming to terms with what he has done and who he's become. None of that. Not even really Christ is 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 necessarily present. Well, I don't believe anything like that. Yeah. Here's what I will say about universalism or apocatastasis. Fancy Greek word means restoration of all things. Universalism is not a heresy. Universalism is a minority position that has been held by some throughout the history of the church, including people like Gregory of Nyssa. Yeah. And if you start throwing Gregory of Nyssa under the bus as a heretic, well, then there's nobody left. You know, I mean, he, he's, he's the guy that puts the docs in orthodox, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, yeah. so what I say, though, is I'm hesitant to go down that path and say, yeah, I'm a universalist. What I say is I hold a robust hope that in the end, God in Christ can reconcile all things unto himself. And there's plenty of scripture mm -hmm. 
Now, now, if if you if you don't want to believe that, there's plenty of scripture too. Sure. But I'm saying it's not as simple as you know proof texting. Uh, my book of the year last year, and I read it twice, and I'll probably read it a third time. I read it before it was published, and then I read it after it was published. Is David Bentley Hart's? Uh, what is the name of it? David Bentley Hart's um, "That All Shall Be Saved." Yep, that's all. Heaven, hell, and universal salvation. He's he he is someone that actually says, "I am a universal," but he unpacks it. Right. Uh, and makes a, a very, I mean, first of all, don't get in an argument with David Bentley Hart. Just don't. Just don't, <laughs> don't go down that road. Uh, but so, so no, I, I, don't, I don't accept that label because I don't want to claim to know too much. I don't want to put too fine a point, but I certainly hold to that hope. Here's the important question, though. If it turns out that a whole lot more are saved than you anticipated or if it even turns out that everybody is saved are you going to be mad right <laughs> some people will <laughs> i know well and, and that's when i say okay then then we have bigger fish to fry in this moment than speculation about the afterlife we need to tend to your own soul yeah because you're not loving your neighbor as yourself <laughs> no i want him to go to hell <laughs> yep and 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 even then I mean, we've jumped kind of all the way to the end of this conversation. Um, people will say things like this. They'll say, um, Jesus talked about hell more than anyone in the Bible. Yes and no. Right. What was he yes, really talking about? Yes, in the about? sense that, that the, the language of Gehenna and fiery judgment is fairly frequent with Jesus. But what is he talking about? Right. In most of those cases, not just some, I would say you know, 80% of those cases, he is speaking about the impending judgment that he's been constantly warning of. And that is that this rebellion against Rome is going to pull the entire city down into Guyana, a thing that came about 40 years later in AD 70. So it's, it's like people say, do you believe in a literal hell? And I was like, I don't know how to answer that because yes, I do. I believe in a literal hell, but I don't think that's what you, you're the one that doesn't believe in a literal hell. You believe in sort of some sort of vague spiritual hell. Right. Um, you know, yes, I believe in a literal hell. Right. It was a place. Um, and, and AD 70 was a literal hell that Jerusalem literally went to when they didn't recognize the way of peace that Jesus offered them. Yeah. But that's not what people are thinking about. Right. I mean, and so, I think uh, so. Let me let me throw in another thing because it's just coincidence here. But if you'll Google Zond and probably hell will do it enough, but 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 actually it's hell and how to get there. But Zond and hell will probably get you there. The entire <laughs> hell chapter from Sinners in the Hands of Loving God is on the on my blog for free. And nice. I and and that one I didn't ask the, the publisher. I know probably doesn't want me to do that. <laughs> but I just did it anyway because I want because I think it'll help people. Right. And my wife is always my first editor. And she's the one that she's she'll she'll be more cautious than I am. That's part of her role. And when I'd finally completed writing that chapter, Hell and How to Get There, Perry said, you know, that's not going to cause you any trouble. So I think I, I would encourage viewers, listeners, if you can, it's there for free. Nice. Zond, hell. Nice. Go read it. That yep. And that's, that'll give you a, a much more nuanced and broader statement on the yeah. subject. Yeah, but I, I think, certainly do not believe that God operates in eternal torture chamber. No, I don't yeah. believe that. I, I think that that is a, that is a, that is a cruel, um, 
what I want to say, it, it, is, it is a deliberate um, distortion of the God whom Jesus called Abba. Right. That, that, is, that is, in fact, been responsible for producing a lot of atheists. Although it's, it's atheists these days that want to make me a fundamentalist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jesus. And saying, I'll usually just say to me, I say you're a fundamentalist. I'm not a fundamentalist. So, you know. Right. Jesus actually saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And Jesus saying, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's, and, and when Jesus says, forgive, love your enemies. And then I have to also fit somewhere in there that God doesn't do any of that stuff. It, that's when it just, right. The logic. So, so, I, so what if the me. cross is the moment in which the sin of the world coalesces into a hideous singularity Ooh. so that it might be forgiven in mass Ooh. now? And the I, I actually Spirit believe that's what it is. That's not to say that we don't have to work through some things. Right. Another thing I would recommend, I'm, I'm just recommending things here. It's, you can get it free on the internet. Uh, George MacDonald's The Last Farthing. It's, it's, it's one of his sermons from Unspoken Sermons. And it's, it's, it's take you, it takes you 15 minutes at most to read it. The Last Farthing, George MacDonald. Very good. Nice. It's on hell and salvation and universalism and pocket stasis, stuff yep. like that. Yep. So... I've had this thought recently in conversations with my friends about this, and I'm probably, um, you know, uh, too stupid to be making these type of claims. But here Come we go. Come on, John, don't. <laughs> I'm not insecure about it. I just know my place. <laughs> you know, like I had this thought. Like even in my more fundamentalist days, and even with my most fundamentalist friends, like if we're honest, like. <laughs> has hell ever really been that relevant in the sense of eternal conscious torment? Here's what I mean. In the sense of salvation, because you know, my dad used to tell me, you know, even the devil believes in God, even the devil believes in hell. Right. And so is believing in hell, a prerequisite, even for a fundamentalist to salvation. Here's the thing. Um, in the sermons that we find in the book of Acts that would represent an example of apostolic proclamation of the gospel, there's like eight of them, depending on what you count as a sermon. There are no appeals made to afterlife issues. Hmm. It's just not there. They, they, it's just not there. So whatever we might surmise about afterlife issues, if we cannot preach the gospel, without making appeals to afterlife issues, we can't preach the gospel in an apostolic fashion. Mm. The, the, uh, the gospel of the apostles was the world has a new emperor. His name is Jesus. It's evidenced by God raising him from the dead. This kingdom is now among us. It is a kingdom of peace and grace and mercy and forgiveness. Believe this good news and become a part of it right now. Mm -hmm. And afterlife issues are secondary. They have opinions about them. They're not necessarily that clear because it wasn't ever the issue. What happens, though, after Constantine, when now we're back to a, the idea of a Christian emperor, so Jesus isn't really Lord because now we're back to a Caesar being Lord, but Lord is a political term. Um, so, but you can't get rid of Jesus and call yourself a Christian. So what happens? Well, Jesus gets demoted to the secretary of afterlife affairs and his <laughs> job is to get people into heaven when they die. <laughs> See, if the early Christians had gone around saying, accept Jesus into your heart so you can go to heaven when you die, they'd have never been persecuted. 
The Roman Empire was remarkably tolerant of other religions. They needed to be. They didn't care. If, they, if the gospel was, accept Jesus into your heart so you can go to heaven when you die, the Romans would have said, we don't care where you go when you die. <laughs> go to heaven, go to hell. We don't care who you accept into your heart. We don't care. Yeah. If you say, though, that Jesus is Lord, we're going to have a problem. Because Lord was an imperial title granted by the Senate to the Roman emperor. And there were other titles like Son of God, Savior of the world. Prince of Peace. And they said, this is Caesar. Caesar's Lord. He's the Son of God. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Savior of the world. And Christian says, yeah, not so much. So that when Christians made that seminal confession that Jesus is Lord, by implication, they're saying, and Caesar is not. Mm. And they were, we can say it this way, Christians were persecuted for political reasons, not for religious reasons. Mm. But now we're back on political theology. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just have one more question. Well, I've got a hundred more, but I'll ask <laughs> one more, John, you know, Mark, make sure you get whatever you want sure. in here. But one thing about the afterlife that I've even heard some Christians and I'm, I'm told it's not offensive to me, but just kind of holding with a loose hand, you know, a friend of mine said, you know, heaven is, is now. And I get that. I get the concept of heaven, but I'm just like, please don't touch my dream of Jesus actually leading a kingdom when heaven and earth meets and everything that we get to enjoy now is enjoyed in fullness without any of the bad stuff. Like, do you still believe in that? And if not, please don't tell me just. No, I mean, I'm, I'm Orthodox brother. You, you, I'm, I'm Orthodox. I'm going to take you back to the church fathers and stuff like that. The gospel told in its fullness and in, in, in the, the big telling, the meta narrative of the gospel, it is it is how God overcomes death in Christ. And so there has to be some. I mean, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most to be pitied. Now the apostle Paul can say that because of how he suffered. We don't suffer that much, but uh, no, I hold to the hope of eternal life, to something that transcends this life. Um, now, as N.T. Wright says, I believe in heaven, but it's not the end of the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like so, it. So, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm completely orthodox in, in, in my uh, theology. And uh, I believe that Christ is defeated death. I don't think that death is the end. I, here's, what, here's what, let me just sum it up. That Christ entered into death. This is why Christ becomes human, that he might take on our mortality, that might heal what it is to be human, but to be mortal is to die. Christ dies, he descends into death, but death cannot digest divinity, and death is destroyed from the inside out. So that now, for a person to die is to encounter Christ because Christ now fills all things everywhere with himself. And at death, we encounter Christ as both judge and savior. Here, let me, let me one more thing. Remember that movie, Men in Black? Of course you yeah. do. Tommy yeah. Lee Jones and uh, Will Smith. There's the climactic moment when, uh, when Tommy Lee Jones is, well, there's a bug, remember? And this yeah. galactic cockroach. Yeah. And it's, it brings death everywhere it goes. And what does Tommy Lee Jones do in the climactic moment? He taunts the bug or this death or this giant cockroach. And what does he say? He says, eat me, eat me. 
And what happens? The bug eats him, and then what happens? The bug is destroyed from the inside out. That's exactly how the church fathers <laughs> preached the gospel, that death was deceived into devouring, swallowing Jesus, but in the process, it was destroyed from the inside out. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the beautiful. That's that beautiful. is. That is. That's cool. Well, well, Brian, thank you for bringing yourself here. I love progressive universal list people. And I'm <laughs> just kidding. Just put that on some labels. It's just unorthodox, man. I just, you're such a progressive. Well, yeah, we just, well, that's why I, I, I'm on, I'm all these, uh, I'm on all these podcasts, like, you know, happy heretic or bad Christian. And I'm, like, I'm trying to be a good Christian and I'm not a heretic. Pastor with no answers helps DonorSeed.com. That's D-O-N-O-R-S-E-E.com. Through DonorSeed, we actually, as a listenership, help meet needs of people in desperate situations in impoverished countries. As a listenership, we've already paid for a C-section of a woman named Kamu in Sudan. Her future delivery of a child was very was a very dangerous proposition. And her life and or the baby's life was going to be jeopardized and they did not have the funds to pay for a C-section. So as a listenership, we paid for a C-section. We want to tackle one of these needs once a month. And so there's a new need up. So if you want to go to DonorC.com forward slash PWNA helps. Every bit helps. It's also in the show notes. Thank you.